You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this episode of the McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. Today, we are going to be getting practical about artificial intelligence. By now, it's common knowledge that AI holds immense promise across a wide range of applications, everything from diagnosing disease to personalizing websites. But how far are most companies along the road to adoption at scale? And when you look at the organizations that are furthest ahead, how did they get there and what are they doing differently? To answer these questions, I spoke to a couple of McKinsey partners who are working with clients on exactly these issues. Tim Fountain is a partner based in Sydney, Australia. Tamim Saleh is a senior partner based in London. So, Tamim and Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. That's a pleasure. I'm very pleased to be with you. So we're going to be talking about not only the exciting promise of AI, uh, which to be clear is, is very real, but how in practice, on the ground, in real organizations, the promise can be realized. Uh, Tim, maybe, maybe you take first crack at this. What do we actually know about how far along most companies are in the journey? Well, I think you're right. There's a lot of excitement about the potential of AI. And there are some wonderful examples of AI uh, making real progress and being able to help with diagnosing diseases and healthcare, uh, improving customer experiences and so forth. But most companies we've talked to uh, in the last few years are not making progress at the pace you might assume from all the newspaper articles. In fact, we, we did a recent survey of a thousand companies and we found that only 8% of firms that we surveyed engaged in practices that allowed widespread adoption of AI. So the, the vast majority of companies are still at the stage of running pilots and experimenting. So we, we still believe that AI will add something like $13 trillion to the global economy over the next decade. But putting AI to work at scale remains a, a work in progress for most companies. So the companies that are doing this well, the, the 8% that you mentioned that are putting the practices in place to get to scale uh, with AI, what are they doing differently? Well, the first thing is they tend to be ahead on digitization generally. And there are particular industries where uh, that's happening more. So for example, uh, financial services, telecoms, media, high tech, uh, they're really leading the way as you could imagine. They don't have physical products to the same extent as other industries. Uh, they're really about data and, and, and digital uh, information. So of course, AI is highly applicable in these industries. But the other thing is, no matter which industry companies are in, the ones that are doing the best are paying real attention not only to the technology, but also thinking about how it changes their organizations uh, and what kind of culture they need to build in order to be able to take advantage of these new technologies. And really the ones we see doing well, there's, there's three things that they're getting right. The first is organizationally, they're moving from siloed functional work to cross-functional teams where people from the business, people from analytics, IT, operations, all work side by side to achieve particular outcomes. Uh, the second one is 
changing how they make decisions. So much less top-down, much less judgment-based, but much more empowering frontline teams to make decisions, not only using judgment, but also using algorithms to help improve uh, the way they make decisions. And then last of all, there's something about mindset, something about moving from being risk-averse and only acting when you have the perfect answer to being much more agile, willing to experiment, being adaptable, being willing to, to fail fast, but learn fast and, and get things out quickly. Yes, I mean, on, on the one hand, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, on the other, what you're describing there, Tim, sounds like wholesale change. It's a lot of change on a lot of different organizational dimensions. I mean, to me, let me bring you in here. In practical terms, in your work with clients, where do you even begin? So one of our clients, for example, a leading European steel manufacturer, uh, they wanted to industrialize AI. It wasn't just about uh, doing a number of pilots or uh, MVPs or tests. And the CEO, uh, who I remember very well in the very first discussion uh, we had with him, uh, he looked at the problem as a people problem. He didn't want uh, a technology story or, a, uh, or here are the use cases. He actually asked a question, how will my people deliver AI? What kind of skills they need to have? How do I fit this into our culture? And some of the things that they looked at, for example, is to understand what proportion of their organization need to be literate. Uh, and rapidly they came to the conclusion that the concept of a translator, people in the business, whether for example they are in operations or in sales or in quality management, who understand how analytics are, is applied and then use their knowledge to work with the data scientists and the data engineer to produce the initiatives and the use cases and industrialize them uh, and deploy them and make sure that they continuously developed. The budgeted, for example, for the adoption and the training and the development of people as much, if not more, than for the technology itself. They spent a lot of time on training. Uh, they built an academy for analytics that trained out of 9,000 workers 400 people in the first year. Uh, that led them within a period of uh, 18 months to produce 40 initiatives with 15% EBITDA improvement. And if anything, they are continuing to accelerate the level of application of analytics in the organization they do. In fact, the objective is that the penetration of analytics will be in everything that they are doing. It becomes business as usual. But the key lesson learned out of all of this is that when uh, a company wants to apply analytics, they should look at the problem uh, not just from the technology end or the data quality, but as a people and a mindset. One of the things we often see companies getting wrong is they're building analytical models, AI models, but really failing to think through how does that change the business. I think one of the things the companies that are getting it right have realized is that AI is just another tool for solving business problems or achieving business outcomes. And as such, AI is a way of changing a workflow, changing the way that people work together. Uh, and so one of the things we found in our survey is that the companies that were doing best were spending as much of their money or budget on change and adoption, if you like, workflow redesign, communication training, as they were on the technology itself. So let me just clarify there. 
companies are spending as much on training and adoption as they are on the actual technology? Because I think a, a lot of people might find that surprising. Yes, uh, a lot of people might find that surprising because the uh, assumption is, is that in order to deploy analytics, you need to invest heavily in data management and quality and buying the technology. But the vast majority of problems, the blockers, happen outside the agile analytics labs. It happens, for example, because the finance budgeting process does not cater for fast development of use cases. Or it happens, for example, because HR function is not familiar of how to recruit data scientists or what does an experienced data scientist really look like. Or it happens, for example, because IT function is not designed in a way that they can rapidly access data in many, many data sources so that you can uh, implement use cases rapidly. And increasingly, organizations now realize that the battle is not just to buy the technology or create uh, small agile teams that produce pilots, but actually think of agile for the organization in totality and then begin to address and make decisions in areas like training and budgeting. So to cut the story short, the battle cuts across the entire organization and the entire management team, whether it's the CFO, HR director, or the CIO, or the CMO, they all have a role to play to lubricate the process, that the operating model works end-to-end -to, -end to deploying analytics at scale. And that's why people are now beginning to put much more attention and budgets outside the technology area. Just to take a worked example that is quite a common one from mining or heavy industries, predictive maintenance. So moving from maintaining equipment to stop it breaking, maintaining it at regular intervals, to shifting to a system where you use AI to predict when machines are going to break uh, and then be able to intervene just at the right time to stop things breaking or be able to accommodate that in the operations. The analytics of that has been done dozens and dozens of times around the world. Uh, certainly solvable. But the really hard thing, and often it's really surprising to people, is that to be able to take advantage of that AI technology really means totally changing the way companies maintain equipment. So it means rostering your maintenance staff differently. It means ordering spare parts with a different frequency. Uh, it means actually scheduling how your mine works differently to accommodate uh, predictive maintenance of equipment. It's a huge change, and it's not just about the, the technology or the AI application itself. Is there an element here that's about overcoming fear? Because I can imagine that when a lot of people hear that their company is going to deploy AI at scale, quite frankly, they worry you know, about whether their jobs are, are still going to be around. Yes, indeed. One of the big issues is that people assume that AI-enabled transformations will replace everything that they're doing. The reality, AI is in itself is not super useful. It's actually man-machine, human-machine. Uh, so, for example, tasks like demand forecasting in supply chain or tasks like targeted marketing, it is most powerful when you have the experienced demand forecasters or marketeers knowing how to use AI to make much better decisions. And for the vast majority of activities or tasks that people are doing, you still need our judgment. You still need human judgment. But working together with AI, you get much better outcome. So awareness is very important, and there are increasingly many companies 
not just training the core 10% or so who are delivering AI, uh, but also making sure that the entire organization through online training and, uh, and, and other forms of training understands how AI will work in, in the environment and how to live with it and benefit from it. One of the other things that companies doing this really well have managed to create is a, a portfolio of AI initiatives. One part of that is being able to balance building to the long term and really changing how business works using AI, but at the same time being able to deliver things quickly to maintain momentum, build some excitement and show the potential. So for example, one retailer that's adopting AI as part of its category management process, they eventually want to use AI to completely change how they think about space and what kind of assortment they have in the store but that's going to be a multi-year process. So while they're building towards that, they're using the same data and a lot of the same ideas to provide a little tool to store managers so that they can order in a few extra items that AI predicts will sell well within their stores to generate some initial sales, generate some initial excitement, show the potential, and buy them the time needed to do the more uh, ambitious reorganization of their assortment in the stores. The point about the portfolio of AI initiatives, uh, sometimes companies or people mistake it and think about it as a list of initiatives, but, but it is not a list. Basically, it's, it cannot be just a grab bag of use cases that have been sort of harvested from across the company. There has to be real thought given to the staging and the rollout and the sequencing of these over time. Correct, yeah. One of the things I think that companies that are doing really well have realized is, yes, you can find interesting places where you can apply AI models across your company, but it doesn't fundamentally change the way you do things. So just double click for a moment on this concept of the AI Academy. Uh, what are the elements that you've seen in practice that contribute to a successful academy or academy-like program? One of the things is starting at the top. So the organizations we see that are doing this best actually start with the board and the executive team, and the, including the CEO, uh, and making sure that the top managers, the top decision makers in the organization really understand it. The other thing is not just focusing on technical talent for training, but really emphasizing the training of translators. People who have potentially been in business for a long time and don't know much about machine learning but they do really understand how the business works. So take the, the steel company example. This might be people that are overseeing shifts or engineers who are working on particular parts of the machinery. Teaching them about AI so they can then work with data scientists and engineers to design solutions that are right for their business. Understanding the data properly and making sure people think through some of the implementation challenges at the other end. Yeah, and, and the other thing which is really important is that this is not classroom training where a data scientist learn data science or a translator learn translation. It's actually training on the job. So what's your advice for senior executives uh, at a company that's on this journey? What can, what can you do? What are the behaviors that you can model so that you become uh, part of the solution here and, and not part of the problem? Well, one CEO that's been very successful in driving AI in their company, uh, they really began by setting the right example themselves. And I think this is, this is very important. So, so actually the first thing they did was actually show up to the analytics training 
and just like everyone else, get stuck into some coding and ask questions about how machine learning works and so on. For a lot of leaders, it's quite uncomfortable uh, leading in a world where you don't really know all the answers yourselves and you're going to rely on data scientists and engineers and other types of experts to advise you. And one of the, the, the best things you can do is just be humble and ask lots of questions uh, and be open to taking advice from others. Uh, and then of course, one thing the CEO did really well was one of their first initiatives didn't actually work. And it wasn't because of anything the team could have done particularly differently, it was just that it was a really hard problem. And that was a real moment of truth for them. In this case, the CEO was great and said, you know, I think you've done a wonderful job. I really celebrate that you took the risk to do this. What have we learned? What can we take forward to the next thing? Of course, if he had said, gosh, what a disaster, this is terrible, uh, that would have just shut down the whole thing for them. So that's really important. The other thing that this particular person did was also make the businesses accountable, not the AI specialists or the, the chief analytics officer. So he always made sure to, to talk to the business owners, the product owners, the heads of the businesses where these ideas were going to be implemented, to ask them how it was doing, to report back on what was happening. Uh, and he tracked really rigorously what was happening. And uh, where things weren't moving as fast or as quickly, he asked questions and helped people solve the problems. What about the organizational design piece? Uh, this question of whether to have analytics resources sort of clustered at the center, or on the other hand, pushed out into the business units and functions? Well, it's not an either-or decision. You actually need both. You need some kind of central hub, uh, as well as capability out in the businesses and what you might call spokes. And we know that from our survey, companies that are doing really well with AI are three times as likely as their peers to have some kind of central capability. The responsibilities that are almost always best managed centrally are things like data governance, setting systems and standards for AI, recruiting and training, and even defining what it is to be a data scientist at your company. Of course, there are other things that are much better done out in the businesses and the spokes. They're things like workflow redesign, uh, choosing where to focus, organizational change that uh, needs to be done as part of implementing an AI solution. And it's interesting, Tim, three, four years ago, uh, some companies went for a completely distributed model with no hub, and they ended up creating new types of complexity where teams in different parts trying to solve the problem, the same problem with different methods, different data architecture or IT architecture. So they never managed to scale. Uh, and, and the reverse is also true. Some companies centralized analytics completely and that led to other sorts of problems that were quite far from the business. The business didn't buy in. And over time, their hub and spoke model evolved because of the pain that some of the companies uh, endured. So the, the two extremes in most cases don't work. At the risk of a, a wild generalization, it sounds like companies that are struggling to get to scale with AI probably haven't invested enough at the center. Do you, do you think that's fair to say? I think that's true. Although the more mature companies are, I think the more they can push things out into the spokes. But it does require having some standardization uh, and 
a culture where people will stick to that. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy for many organizations because you, you, the, the issue here is that you need to get the balance between common language, common protocols, common methodologies, because analytics is a, has a network effect. You need to be able to connect use cases together over time. And that requires discipline. But at the same time, you need to give the businesses the freedom and access to skills inside their businesses in a distributed way. And it's not natural for most organizations which are functionally led to, to have that model. Maybe just take that down to the level of an individual initiative, you know, a project team charged with implementing a, a use case. What roles do you need? What's the mix of people from the hub versus the spoke? And, and what are some of the common mistakes? So the teams need to be interdisciplinary teams, end to end. Yeah. So from the business concept to the development of the, the design, as in actually the user experience design and how you will use the use case, to the mathematics itself and the data science, then the technology in terms of the data ingestion, data engineering, and then the technology underneath that in terms of the platform. And then most importantly, the interdisciplinary teams should be outside these labs as well in terms of how do you industrialize that use case. So the training of the users, any interfaces that need to happen uh, with processes, any changes that need to happen in processes uh, outside. And when you get teams working in this form, they are much more productive. You have a much higher probability of getting it right first time or closer to that, and much higher probability of the use case being relevant and applied. There are some key roles in particular, like the product owner, uh, and that would be the manager in charge responsible for the uh, new AI tool success. And it should be important to his or her business. They understand the value of that. The translators are the people who are literate to that business domain and take active part in developing the use case with the data scientists and data engineers. And then you've got the experts like the data architects and scientists and designers and visualization people. And as I mentioned, outside that group, one needs to think about industrialization. So this is the professionals who do the training and the tracking. Uh, and this would cover people from change management or design to finance professionals. And it's quite often the part which is missed. Uh, even today, as we speak, I would say the majority of organizations pay little attention to what is outside the immediate agile team of experts and translators when it comes to productionizing. And this is something that we're speaking a lot to our clients, trying to make sure that uh, there's uh, a lot of awareness and, and prioritization to that part as well. So again, it's the adoption piece, right? You know, you can come up with a solution that potentially could add a whole lot of value to the business, but you have to get it adopted. Exactly that. One other thing that's really important is actually tracking value. So we see a lot of companies implementing models, but never really following up to see how well the change associated with that model occurs and whether or not it's working and being able to improve the models over time. So that value capture, measuring every few weeks, is it working? And then being able to course correct accordingly is really, really crucial. Just say a little bit more about the product owner role. And clearly that's pivotal. Is, is that a person who should be like a deep expert coming from the center? Or is that someone who should uh, be pulled from and, you know, reside in the business? 
it's really important they come from the business. They're going to be the person that go back to the business and try and convince everyone to adopt this new tool or ways of doing things. Uh, so they have to really understand how things work in the business. Uh, they have to have the trust of their peers to be able to convince them to do it. Uh, and they need to be around for the long term to be able to make sure this particular solution gets implemented. A good product owner should be somebody who wholeheartedly and absolutely understand the value of analytics in his or her business. Because more often than not, analytics will change the way they work. So for example, if you are a product owner in retail and you are getting much more granular insight on what you could put on the shelves for individual stores, that will have an impact on the way you do logistics and replenishment and promotions and therefore you need to change the way your people work and that's a very different than a product owner who sees the analytics as a use case for something individual task or part of a list so a good product owner needs to see the big picture and think of analytics as a journey so i think sadly we are out of time for today uh, but tim and tamim thank you very much thank you for doing this it's a pleasure thank you very much it's a pleasure simon and thanks as always to you, our listeners, for tuning in to this episode of the McKinsey Podcast. Please do visit us at mckinsey.com or download the excellent McKinsey Insights app to learn more about advanced analytics, AI, and how they can be applied to your business. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, Visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.